morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. The second week of the Giro d'Italia is over. History has been made, stomachs have been upset, and Simon Philip Yates has gotten back to winning ways. Now joining me to run through the action from stages 10 to 15 is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? Hi everyone, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, um, you know, I never know what to say at this part because I know you're going to hand over to me after the introduction and I never have anything to say, but um, it's been a good week. It's been, it feels quite short just with this, uh, the way the Giro has done this year, six stages between rest days. Is that, I feel like it's often more, I don't know. It, well, we, we, had, maybe... we had nine in the last rest day recap. This one we've only got yeah. six. That's, uh, I don't know. Uh, I probably said this last time out as well, but I'm just completely thrown by the whole thing starting in the wrong country for three stages and then having a rest day straight away just yeah well, all three grand tours this year start in different countries so we can look forward to more confusion on your part tom yeah uh, where does the welter start now you're uh now you're questioning me i think it is starting in the netherlands i think you might be right i was going to say if it's one of those it's just across the border it doesn't really matter but the, I, the, I think it's because it was supposed to start in the netherlands in one of the COVID years and they never got it. And the, Vel the Vuelta was only like 18 stages that year. Well, that was the same as um, Copenhagen with the tour, wasn't it? They pushed, oh no, because and then they pushed it back. Was it not meant to be 2020? And then they couldn't do it last year because Copenhagen was hosting the Euros at the same time. And they said like, we can't have the football and the cycling in the same city on the same day. Well, we've got Copenhagen this year. Yeah. It's all very confusing. And for friends of ours who do not follow cycling, it's very difficult to explain to them that the Giro d'Italia starts in Hungary, the Vuelta España starts in the Netherlands, and the Tour de France starts in Copenhagen. Yeah, Copenhagen to northern France is uh, is quite an easy transfer, though, rather than, yeah, Budapest to Sicily. Well, even the Netherlands to Spain, you've got to get yeah. right across. <laughs> anyway, Tom, Giro d'Italia, let's talk about it. Stage 10 it. into Yesi. Yesi, Jesse? Uh, Yesi. Yesi. Yeah, great place. As I've probably touched on this last time, but I go there a lot. Perfect. Well, should we, yep. should we start with the, the more pressing narrative from that day, which is Biniam Gomai's historic win as i say is that the more pressing I, I thought the yeah okay what happened afterwards was quite pressing as well <laughs> that as well so i mean <laughs> let's start with the win we all knew it was coming he almost took a wrong turn 6.5 kilometers to go lost a lot of placing but managed to get himself back in there contested the sprint won became the first black african to win a grand tour stage earlier this season he was the first black african to win a world tour race in gem wevelgem and he's only 22 yeah, and it was some finish as well. Him and um, Vanderpol, they launched the sprint from a long way out, it seems to be. It was one of those... Um, Proper slow-mo one, wasn't it? Yeah, really, really hammering it down. Just looked like they were getting no... It looked painful. <laughs> now, I thought it was a classy touch from Vanderpol to give a little thumbs up. And there was part of me that thought, has he just gifted that? I was about to say, you texted me saying exactly that. And I was like, no, I think... Uh, <laughs> he knew he was beaten on the day and just like, yeah, hold your hands up, beaten by the better man. Well, so, yeah, well done. Yeah, exactly. Simon. And as is customary here, I've been doing some research. Okay. And I've looked beyond the sprint as to reasons why Matty van der Poel could not perform to his best ability in that sprint. I, I would preface that by saying I'm not sure Matthew van der Poel didn't perform to his best ability. He might just not have been as quick. No, I completely agree with you. That yeah. is correct. <laughs> I, the better phrasing would be why he looked so cooked in that sprint and why he couldn't even make it to the line. Okay. He put in a very big dig with five kilometers to go, right? That's the immediate, you know, precedent before the game, before the um, 
the yeah. finale. But Tom, let's look back to December and January. What is Machi van der Poel usually doing in December and January that gives him a lot of explosive power? He's riding cyclocross. What did he not do this year? He didn't ride cyclocross. He didn't ride cyclocross. He never did a cyclocross season. He did one race at Dendermonde and finished second, and he DNF'd another. He did two cyclocross races and only finished one of them. Oh, didn't he? he had a broken back or something, didn't he? It was a pretty difficult winter for him. He did. He also didn't really race for a lot of months before that, so yeah. it's very understandable. <laughs> um, but of course, the overarching thing to that victory was that Gamay was more powerful and rode very, very smart. He did. I mean, I just thought it was a complete role reversal of the um, uh, the opening stage when Van der Poel took uh, the Maya Rosa because he seemed to come from a long way back and the way he went round Gamay there was unexpected because I thought it would be closer between them. And then this time as well, Gamay went first again, and but this time was able to hold him off and Van der Poel just didn't have it. Absolutely smoked him. Mm. And then, Tom, as you were kind of alluding to earlier, Gamay kind of smoked himself. As you said, he's not won many races, so he clearly doesn't have uh, that much experience with the uh, with the uh, champagne bottles or Prosecco in this case, because we're in Italy. But uh, a cork to the eye is, uh, you're warned about it every time you open a, a bottle of a, a sparkling wine. Everyone, The first thing you're told is just point it away. from. <laughs> Don't point it at anyone else. Yeah. Don't point it at yourself. Um, so, yeah, it's a learning experience for him. And as long as he keeps winning more races, I'm sure he'll have a chance to get it right. Absolutely. Um, I've been doing some research, Tom. I've been bringing in some more science here. Mm-hmm. So I saw the video of the cork to the eye fiasco. It looked painful. It looked very painful, I'm sure. Yeah. And what I was confused about was he untwists the little, you know, the metal casing cap thing that you get. Yep. He untwists it. And before he even touches the cork, it's in his eye. Now, I was confused and I was like, why is that? Any bottle of champagne or Prosecco I've opened, which is very few, by the way, um, never does that. Now, the reason for that, Tom, I've found out for you and the listener at home. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear this. It's all to do with the carbon dioxide in the bottle. Carbon dioxide gives the champagne or the Prosecco or any fizzy drink its fizz. Yeah? Not and that's how it's pressurised. Not, okay, right. Let's, yeah, bit, of, bit of trivia for you. That's why Guinness gets the downward bubbles. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Because I think because I think they put hydrogen or something in there and nitrogen, something, one of those two in there instead. Okay, right. Well, yeah. let's not confuse it here. We're all following here. Carbon dioxide equals fizz under pressure in the bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to get into the science of this. Carbon dioxide is more soluble in cold temperatures. For the layman, that means that carbon dioxide is basically in the liquid in cold temperatures. Yeah? Yep. In warmer temperatures, so for example, when a giant bottle of Prosecco is left out in the sun all day on a podium in Italy, <laughs> um, the carbon dioxide is less, oh, I'm getting confused there. The carbon dioxide is less soluble, so it's not in the water as such. And I think it's then kind of just pressurizing the bottle even more. Yeah. It's kind of in that air gap. That's where the carbon dioxide goes when it heats up. Now, what happens there? Is it, it, it just it gets very lively. It gets very lively. And it doesn't require much for it to just blow its top. As I said, it was you the see heat. the guys who were experienced with it, you know, um, 
I watched the Grand Prix yesterday and I've never seen it happen there. These guys know what they're doing with the magnums of, uh, well, they were in Barcelona, so it's probably Carver. Um, as I say, Max Verstappen had no problem spraying it all over the um, whoever else was on the podium with him yesterday. So um, it's definitely, there's definitely an art to it. And uh, I think they can, they don't do a lot of spraying it about on them. To be fair, cycling, you know, you go to Amstel Gold and you get the giant beer or whatever instead. There's not actually that many. The cycling podiums are very different atmosphere to a Formula One podium after a Grand Prix. So, so maybe this is what, maybe we just need to have the giant beer at every single race then. Yeah. I mean, there's just not much many races is there where sparkling wine would uh, women's women's tour this year they go straight through champagne country that every every day that'll be uh oh you're saying you need to really justify having the uh the sparkling stuff there yeah well I, to be fair even the f1 when they go to the um countries in the middle east where there's obviously not any alcohol they have some sort of sparkling grape oh like a slur yeah it is like a like a big magnum of slur <laughs> <laughs> okay well We've seen after that stage, the organisers thought, right, we can't be doing with the international press of this again. So they've taken all the corks out. And we saw later, well, I saw anyway, Simon Philip Yates, because he was one of the only ones who I watched all the way through to the podium. I was going to say the following day, they had the cheese stage, didn't they? That can't have posed the same problems as the Prosecco the day before. Ah, uh, yes. The big Parmigiano cheese stage. Yeah. Won by Alberto Dainese. Craftfully handed to him. As I say, you're going to want to talk, talk through this one, aren't you? by his lead out Roman Bardet. Um, I've not really got much to say about this one. It was a classic sprint. Um, quite interesting to see Bardet pulling through on the front in the uh, final moments. I as think the, it's... A... Uh, the poisson pilote, as the French call it. Ah, yes. This was, a, this was a phrase that we found out. Poisson pilote is yeah. the French for lead out man. And Tom, would you like to provide a translation of that? Uh, well, very literally, it means fish pilot. The fish pilot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on the day, Roman Bardet's fish was Alberto Dainese to get a, what I think, a maiden world tour win. Good for DSM. Um, good for Bardet. Yeah, I mean, about the last good news DSM have had. Yes. And this is what I wanted to come on to, because we obviously, we had these two Italian wins back to back, stage 11, stage 12, Stefano Aldani wins from the break. Well done. Great for the Italians. Great for the Giro, great for the home crowds. Not that interesting racing or not the biggest, you know, these these are the wins that if, if it comes up on pointless in like three years time and it says stage winners from the Giro d'Italia 2022, these are the guys you'll forget with I all due respect that, to them. I think you get quite a few pointless answers in there anyway, let alone Stefano Aldani. <laughs> now stage 13, the drama happened within the first 40 kilometers and it wasn't about the racing. I know, look, I know you want to uh, hold your own mini wake here, so I'll just let you get on with it. Now, Tom has warned me that I'm not to lament too much on this podcast, but <laughs> it was just all sitting up so right for Roman Bardet. Everything looked perfect. He won the Tour of the Alps. He'd held his own on Blockhouse. He'd held his own on Etna. He'd put in a good time trial in the first week. He looked like he had the legs. He was in good form. He looked in really good form. <laughs> And then he comes down with a stomach bug. And I was reading about it this afternoon. Apparently the night before, he couldn't eat anything at the table around with his teammates. And I bet they were all just sat there staring at him like, come on, Roman, eat up, eat your pasta. We've got a big day tomorrow. Um, he was throwing up all day, all, all evening. In the morning, he was throwing up. And then when he started the race, I think he threw up again in the neutralized zone because he was so determined. That is that he'd, I know, he'd try and get through as much as he could. Imagine all those little kids that come up to take a picture with him in the neutral zone. He's there white as a ghost with six like down his front. Scene out of the in-betweeners or something. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but yeah, so he got in the car. Now, Tom, where have we seen a familiar sight of a Frenchman getting in the car mid-stage to everyone else's chagrin? Where? Not where, but who else have we seen do that? Oh, well, I, say where, I, say, I know who. But... <laughs> <laughs> so on which B road in France? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, right, I hope you're talking about Timo Fino here. I am. And yeah. there's something about the French, Tom. And there's something about there French riders. Think about the French. You're not, r- you're not wrong there. There's just something about them. They have a real fondness for riders who don't win. Look, Damar is winning every day, and I don't see him getting all the plaudits. Historically, they love riders who lose or who come second. And I'm thinking oh. Raymond Poulidor. I'm thinking Thibaut Pino. I'm thinking now Roman Bardet. All this does well, is I'm just... add to his appeal. I'm not sure, but I think they'd have a lot of time for riders who win if they could produce riders who win. You look at the way Julian Alaphilippe is treated when he's fit, and uh, they have quite a lot of time for him as well. It's just there aren't that many good French riders at the moment, so they have to like the guys who come second. Now, Tom, we have another big grand tour coming up this summer that potentially Roman Bardi could be competing in. Now that he's he dropped out. Now, I assume, yeah, they've probably had to change his uh, schedule, schedule. Schedule, schedule. I get called up on that one all the time. I, I don't know how to say the word. Um, they've changed his training plan. Uh, <laughs> I, I would imagine after after that, because he's now not got to, especially this final week of the Giro, not having to put yourself through that probably opens up a lot of doors for you later in the season. Absolutely. And one of my fondest memories of watching Cycling Live is being on Dutch Corner on Alpe d'Huez and seeing Roman Bardet emerging through the orange clouds and to a where he came like fourth or fifth on the stage but still <laughs> that day in 2018 four years ago he was the rider on the road he was a, he attacked like four times up that climb he shut that's the race the, up that's where the french have had some really good wins i think of the iconic days on out doers and i think of pierre roland and people going on to win and i can imagine yeah if you're in out doers in the middle of um whatever Région of France. It is. I can't. Where is it? The Alps. Yeah, no, but there's um the specific bit like it's um the the Rhone Alp or something or the. I can tell you where Po is because that's where I lived, but uh, and the tour goes there every year as well. But otherwise, and I can tell you where Paris is because it's Paris, but I can't remember where Alpe d'Huez is. Um, it's in France anyway, and I can imagine. Yeah, if you're the leading French guy on the road, even if you're coming through third or fourth, they're going to be going after you, pushing you up that hill. So the last time. Roman Bardet DNF'd a Grand Tour was the only other time he's DNF'd a Grand Tour. Well, you look frustrated at me here, Tom. Yeah, because I've just remembered where it is. <laughs> the last time I... he DNF'd a Grand Tour? No, where Alpe d'Huez is. Oh, go on. I think it's in Haute-Savoie. It could be. That yeah. sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Um, great. Thanks for stopping me there. To do yeah. that. Start again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the only other time Roman Bardet has DNF'd a Grand Tour was the Tour de France in 2020 when he bowed out after stage 13. Oh, he actually put this on his Insta story, didn't he? He did. Because he came fourth the day before both times as well or something. Yeah, he was fourth in the GC at the time. In both races, he was fourth in the GC and bowed out after stage 13. So that's like, you know, he's got to get through that. There's an omen there. There's an omen there. Um, And that was with a concussion. He bowed out. Oh, um, well, I assume he's come off the bike somewhere then. He did. He came off the bike yeah. a few days before 
and he was very, very shaken up, if you remember. I remember because I was also very, very shaken up. Yeah, I'm, your memory will be fresher than mine, wherever um, Bardet is concerned. So we'll see. I mean, he's only ever DNF two Grand Tours. So we'll see. I and mean, hopefully, I mean, I would love to see him have a go at the Vuelta, actually. I can't imagine he <laughs> won't ride another Grand Tour this year. I would think he would, but uh, I'm, I'm not party to those conversations, so I couldn't possibly comment further. Okay. Well, I just want to say that stage. I know the stupid comment, but um, I just want to say that stage as well. Tom, if that if we have to be part of these conversations, that makes this whole podcast defunct. <laughs> so I was just going to say, Arno Demar won that stage as well in the end. Um, very good for him, um, carrying through the form into the first week. Uh, you, as we said, you've got to take your opportunities as a sprinter once it gets into the back end of the Giro, and he looks. Assuming he can get over the climbs, he's no one's going to take the uh, points jersey off him now, are they? Yes, chapeau, Arno. We kind of have to acknowledge the stage winners on these stages, but as I say, the French love a loser. So Bardet stole all the headlines and they didn't even care about their winner. The following day. The uh, following day. However. Great Britain got a winner. Yeah, there we go. We're back. Tom, you take the lead on this one. I've got three words for you. I reckon I can guess what they are, but why don't oh, you give them to me? I think you already said them in the introduction. It is Simon Philip Yates. Say it loud and say it proud. Simon Philip Yates, back to winning ways in uh, Torino. Exactly what I said he does. Uh, when I sort of, I made a comment that said he's probably not lived up to his full potential and you accused me of doing him some disservice because he is a welter winner. But every Grand Tour, that's what I said, he, he somehow falls out of contention. He has a bad day. And then you just know he's still there 15 minutes back, but he's one of the best climbers if yeah, one of the best climbers I've ever seen. And um, once he's given that freedom to go, you, no one can keep pace with him for one day up a mountain. There are obviously different things at play, but as you say, as mm. soon as you start to write off Simon Philip Yates, out he emerges from the pack with his rug of chest hair exposed, <laughs> unveiled to the public. Big descent over the line. It was classic Simon Philip Yates. Now, obviously, the people he was with at that point were going for the GC. They weren't going for the stage wins. They were fairly happy to see him go because he was 20 minutes down. So we need to acknowledge that, of course. But that doesn't make his win any less spectacular. Um, I would like to sing the praise of somebody else from that stage, Tom. And it was the person who I think came second, if I remember correctly. And that was an Australian called Jai Hindley. Okay, yeah. Sing his praises to me. Now, Jai Hindley's really good at riding a bike and we don't get to see it very much. <laughs> Whenever I see Jai Hindley, and it's only ever at the Giro d'Italia, and I had this weird feeling that he only ever rides the Giro d'Italia, and it turns out that is basically correct. I have to say, I can't really recall seeing him anywhere else. Yeah, try and think of his race results anywhere else. Try and think of any other race, any other country you've seen Jai Hindley compete in. And it's very difficult to think of it because he only competes at the Giro. The only other Grand Tour that he's ridden was the Vuelta four years ago. Since then, he's ridden the Giro every single year. The only other races he rides every year is like Terreno Adriatico, which is like a mini Giro. I think he rode like Catalonia as well, which isn't far from Italy. It's strange because he's from Perth, not from Florence. So, um... well, no, he rides. He rides in Australia as well, but obviously those races yeah. aren't that well televised here, so I don't get to see them. And also, they're no. like a mad hour. And then he comes to Europe and just says, "Well, I'm only doing the Italian races." Which is, he's like, "Well, I'm, why would I go anywhere else? I'm just going to Italy." It's like these people. It's like these, these older couples who all they do is go on holiday to one country every single year and they go to the same place uh, that is jai hindley if it ain't broke 
don't fix it. There's if you if all you could do was go on holiday to Italy for the rest of your life, I don't think you'd be complaining. I think that's what you've been doing for the last four <laughs> years as well, Tom. Yeah, there's extenuating circumstances where I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, another person whose praises we ought to sing are Juan Pedro Lopez. Yeah, um, obviously lost the Mayorosa. Um, I boldly claimed he might remain in the top ten. <laughs> Uh, you want to take that back or are you going to stick with that? No, I'll remain true true to my word. Well, there's, if you look at the GC, it's arranged very weirdly. Now, you've got the first, what, it's like six or seven of them are all within two minutes of each other. Okay. Eighth, you've got Nibali three minutes down, then Lopez four minutes down. There's a four-minute gap. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got a yeah, four-minute gap to 10th. And I think, I, think I assume outside the top 10, they're all like 20 minutes down. Well, this next week, we are about to see some massive splits, I would assume. So that'll, um, yeah, you know, at the moment you're looking at Carapaz with Hin- Hindley uh, seven seconds back, Almeida 30 seconds back. So there's, if you count Pozzo Viva at 101, there's five riders within a minute. Mm. Um we could start seeing real, real gaps form because there's just mountains after mountains after mountains coming. Absolutely. And I'm glad you bring up Domenico Pozzoviva here because he's someone that's really impressed me. I don't know. I wouldn't say he's stood out to me. He's a good bike rider. Okay, right. No, fair enough. You're entitled to your opinion, of course. Um, What I wanted to say is everybody is impressed at, and I'm going to say his name, and I know I don't usually say his name, Alejandro Valverde. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> oh, oh, you see the pause there. I really didn't want to say it. Um, everyone's impressed at him and everyone's impressed at his age. And, and, you know, you get certain commentators who are really into Spanish riders and they always say, oh, it's, I'm not going to say his name again. I've already said it once. Um, this rider, you know, he's, you know, 60 years old or whatever old he is. You know, look how good he's 42 or something, 41. And they're like, look how good he's going. Look at him. He's holding his own. And then up the road ahead of him is Domenico Pozzo Vivo, 39 years old, flying high in the top 10, flying high in the top five. And may I add a little caveat? When I say a little caveat, I mean a very big, important caveat, which is that Pozzo Vivo has never served a doping ban. <laughs> and if you look at the race results, Domenico Pozzo Vivo in 2010 and 2011, he has race results as opposed to the Spanish rider who has no race results and you're more than welcome to look up why. That's I'm done. Good. I'm finished. The, the, I'm yes, finished. I'm, I'm glad you got in the weekly dig um, at not, not just the Spanish rider, but an unnamed commentator as well. No, I like the unnamed commentator. He's one of my favourites. <laughs> I, so I know you do. <laughs> but it does upset me when he, um, well, not when he, when people in general you know, sing the praises of a convicted doper of a convicted doper. Um, Stage 15, Tom. Stage 15. Shall we move on? (laughs) Cogne. Giulio Ciccone, another Italian, the third Italian this week to win a stage. Home tour, Italian riders, bring it home. Um, They haven't actually had any winners before this, so they're making up for lost time. He actually pulled a bit of an SP Yates on this one because... He did the same thing where you just ship a load of time and you take a stage win. And it's like you've had a really successful race. Ciccone is a weird one. Um, I've never really understood what what role he uh, plays as a rider because he's just 
I think you're right because yeah. so many people are always thinking Chaconi's in there for the GC and then he ends up stage hunting. Yeah, and is he also what did he win? He um he won was it Amstel Gold, Flanders, something like Flanders. Did he not win Flanders? No, I think you're thinking of Betiol. I might be thinking of Betiol. Chicone did some oh no, Chicone was in the yellow at the tour. For, he was. Um when, when, when. Take a stab, Tom. Nobody's gonna look it up. 2020, uh, should we say 2020? 2019, stages six, two, seven. So stages six and seven. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, now, what I liked about the Chicone win and wasn't anything to do with his bike riding, which is obviously admirable and very good and worthy of praise. What I liked about it was he pulled what I would refer to as a sepkus on the line and absolutely biffed his sunglasses into the sky. Oh, I like that. Yeah, more yeah. riders need to do this, I think. Did anyone catch them? Because is, is he not like it's not like Geraint Thomas, who's desperate for his 2009 pair of Oakleys back every time he loses them. <laughs> I'm sure somebody caught them. Yeah. But it, it, it's quickly becoming the cycling equivalent of taking your top off when you score a goal. Except there's, this- not much, there's, not much, there's not much else you can do. With it. You've got to zip up, keep the sponsors happy. You can't lob the bike somewhere, can you? So what else are you supposed to do? It would be reckless to throw your helmet as well. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. I think that's the mess, next best thing, unless you've got stuff in your back pockets that you'd empty. But like, no one, an, no one an really wants, gel is worthless. No one wants a glove off you, do they? No. The, the best thing you can do in that situation is just lob your sunglasses. <laughs> and then obviously, we had not to hark back to what I was just saying, but Guillaume Martin doing the Lord's work, going on the attack to kick <laughs> a certain convicted doper out of the top 10. Um, but we'll not go on to that, Tom. Should we have a look at what's coming up? Uh, we will, yes. They are, as we record this now, it is Monday, and they're all having a well-deserved rest in Salo, um, which is on the shores of Lake Garda. Looks a very lovely place. Uh, anywhere in the Italian lakes, I'll be honest, at any time of the year. <laughs> always pretty nice. Um, it's a safe bet, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I've been past on the train uh, between Milan and Venice. Is this another again. travel story? No, I've never been, but actually very interesting. Um, <laughs> because Stalo was the capital of the Italian Socialist Republic, uh, right. which was, um, it's like the Italian equivalent of Vichy France. It was their German puppet state during the war. It was where Mussolini was based. I did know this. He, he went in yeah. exile there or something, didn't he? Yeah. So for two years, it was the um, the capital of fascist Italy because... I think the Allies were coming up from the south and they got kicked out of Rome or something. And um, that's this is where they ended up. Now, when I said we'd you know, look forward to what's going on, I wasn't really expecting you to bring up fascism, Tom. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> quickly move on if you need to. <laughs> should, we, should we talk about some tough climbs? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, Tuesday, tomorrow, stage 16. In the middle of the stage, we have the almighty Mortirolo. And it's we a do. shame it comes in the middle of the stage because it basically means that nothing's really going to happen on it, I don't think. I know. Nothing, nothing consequential. We're not going to have people attacking like crazy up it. If it was a summit finish, we'd get that. No, it's a long stage as well. It's over 200k. So um, mm. you're really going to have to keep something in reserve. And then we've got, I mean, for, for the next, how many stages is it? We've just had stage 15. So it's... by my maths, that's six stages left. Uh Correct. Tomorrow is also the Sforzato wine stage. Don't Any know. more to add on that? 
Nope, never heard of it before. But um, Well, I guess that's... we've had the cheese stage, so it only makes sense to have the wine stage. Exactly. So we've got that. I think four of the next six stages are like high mountain stages, which is how the Giro always racks up. Yeah, and obviously the final stage is a time trial. There's just one bit of flat on Wednesday for them to have a bit of a break. Well, even the, the time trial's not flat either. The time trial's got a big lump in the middle. And then quite a technical, like, eight-kilometre descent into uh, the amphitheatre. I loved that finish in Milan when um, when Teo won uh, a couple of years ago. That was a stunning finish. But this, um, I have to say, this finish in Verona is uh, really quite picturesque as well. Well, look, last time the race finished in Verona was, I think, 2019. And it was won by a certain Richard Carapaz. In a final daytime trial, he won in the pink jersey. It's looking like that's probably going to happen again. Well, he's put himself in pole position at the moment, only by seven seconds, but he's... Um... I think it's nine seconds. Okay. Um, do you want to call it eight? Or do you, we'll want, to let's... Quickly, <laughs> do, do you want to quickly Google what it actually is? No, let's compromise. <laughs> let's call it eight. <laughs> um, let's just hope that the, the Giro is going by our timings as well. As I said, I don't think those will be the time gaps by the time we get to Verona next weekend. Oh, you think we're looking at somebody, a certain Ecuadorian really pulling away at the top? Or really falling off. I'm just saying with four high mountain stages to come, it would be very surprising if the if we carry the exact same time gaps all the way through, if they all come to the line together every day. Well, what I would say is uh, keep an eye on Emmanuel Bookman in seventh. Here we go. Because he's two minutes down. He's, he's in good stead here, and he's always very good in the high mountains. He never wins anything. It is, he's that's always why you there. tipped him for the Vuelta. He's always there. And now I've said that, He's going to fall off He's one of his He's pull out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, now I've said that, I've cursed him. But keep an eye on him. Anyway, Tom, if people want to get in contact with us, where can they do that? They can do so on Twitter and Instagram at TTPDCST. Um, I know I went a bit quickly there this time, but um, if you don't know it by now, then where have you been anyway? Uh, that's where we'll be. <laughs> Perfect. Um, until then, Tom, I guess next time we will be going through whoever's won the Maglia Rosa. We will. A nice little recap. A full um, race recap next time. Yeah, after Verona. And uh, yeah, I'll try not to throw too many Romeo and Juliet lines in there. Wonderful. Will you get back to your GCSE English books, Tom? Um, the listener, everybody else, thank you for listening to this podcast. Tom, thank you for being here as always. Thank you for chatting with me. And we'll catch up next week. See you soon, everyone. Take care.